As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Barth. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata. And today, for the first time in what seems like at least a month, maybe two, we have a co-host on this show, believe it or not. Uh, Josh Marlowe, who has now had a little bit of time to decompress from the basketball season, an amazing one at that. Uh, is back. He is here with us to talk a little bit about the upcoming NFL draft. We're going to preview that for you guys in depth. We'll also let you hear from Russell Brown. I talked to him. We talked to him last year, uh, and we you know, loved what we heard from him last year, so we had to bring him back for this year. He stopped by with us uh, earlier this week, and we'll let you hear some of that interview. I uh, talked about Sam Howell, talked about uh, Ty Chandler and Joshua Zudu, so make sure that you guys Stick around to hear that. We'll also give you an update on the transfer portal. The Tar Heels land two guys in the transfer portal, do lose one guy. We'll tell you a little bit about those guys, and we'll also answer a question as to whether or not the Tar Heels should be pursuing another transfer uh, here uh, over the next couple of weeks. And then, of course, we'll get you out of here with some closing notes. But first of all, buddy, how good does it feel to be back on uh, this podcast? I know that uh, it was definitely an exciting time to talk uh, basketball with the run that Carolina made, but uh, I think it has to feel pretty good for you to be able to, uh, you know, not have to lead the podcast every single time like you do over there at the Four Corners podcast. Yeah, I'm just glad to still have a job because you know that that basketball run and look, we had we had a lot of fun um, covering it all the way up until the national title game, but. 
it unfortunately did take me away from being able to be as in tune with, with Carolina football as I wanted to be. And even though the season ended three weeks ago, we've had so much going on off the court that it's, it's still been a little bit tough, but now we're getting back into the full off season mode and I can get back and being fully in tune with what both, with what both programs are doing. And yeah, um, it, it always feels good to get paid the same and talk less. Um, and that's what I get to happen when I when I'm co-hosting instead of hosting. So excited to to give my vocal cords a rest over the next hour or so. Well, there you go. And I, I think that that really is a shot at me as well as uh, just <laughs> you being you being a little bit lazy. But uh, no, um, glad to have you back. Look, you will be going into fall camp in a position battle. We are considering others. So you've got to come in strong. And we got to we, we got to see what we know you are capable of. You've got the upside, and there's a lot of Tar Heel players, um, you know, that are kind of going through that right now, coming out of spring camp. But we'll talk a little bit about that stuff later. Right now, let's focus on the NFL draft because we are now just two days away on the night of recording from the start of the NFL draft. And look, this is a draft where going in, you know. Carolina fans got to be alert on night one. I think at this point, it, it's still kind of up in the air, but I feel like most of the draft experts are kind of leaning towards Sam Howell probably being there early on day two, and that's probably where most of them are going to slate him in. But it seems like there are still you know, some teams that are rather enamored with the prospect of bringing him in potentially towards the end of that first round. And it's, it's still a possibility at this point, one that we saw early on uh, that most people, you know, were mocking him to at the end of that first round was Detroit. And it seems like that's still one of the destinations that people are looking at. A lot of people still look at Pittsburgh, especially if Malik Willis is off the board. Um, it doesn't seem like they're really that well tied to Kenny Pickett, although who really knows? That is a guy that is in their facilities all the time. So maybe they are a little bit more closely tied to him and you just don't really know. But uh, it feels like Sam Howell is, is a guy that's kind of where he was when he entered the, the NFL draft, which is a guy that's on the border of being a first round pick. Um, but could be a guy that go, slips into that second round and could be a value pick for somebody there at the top. We're going to do burning questions here. We've got five questions about this draft class, and we'll go through and talk about them. First of all, to you, I'll let you start with this one. Does Sam Howell go in the first round on Thursday night? It's so crazy because this was a no-brainer this time of the year. Last year, and really right up before the season started that, you know, Sam Howell, we thought could have been the number one overall pick in the draft. And, and now that's, that's not going to happen. That's not going to be the case. And now we're wondering what round he goes in. The NFL is a quarterback driven league. Everybody knows that. And he has intangibles. Um, he's the best deep ball thrower that exists in this draft. Um, I know, I know Malik Willis has the upside, but, on his college tape, no one threw the ball better down the field than Sam Howell, and that that valid then that matters in today's NFL. And I I do think I do think he will be drafted in the first round. I think it'll be in the back half after the twentieth pick or so, um, and that might be what's best for him in the long term is to go to a place where 
you know, he can sit and develop or something like that and and then be a starter in a couple years. But I, I do think there's just too much good in him for him not to be, um, you know, a, 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 a first-round pick in the draft. And um, hopefully that happens. That would be a great thing for, for this program, a good thing for, for Mac Brown and recruiting. Um, and, and, you know, it would it, be really good for Sam because he, he's ready to go pro. That's why he left now when he's ready to achieve his NFL dream. Um, it's not going to be where we thought it was going to be this time last year, but I think when it's all said and done, he'll be a first-round pick sometime on Thursday night. Well, to be fair, the other guy that was up there with him is currently working on trying to transfer in and take over the starting job at South Carolina and Spencer Radler. So uh, that kind of shows that the mindset of these NFL teams that want to tank, sometimes that can come back to bite you. Um, But with Sam, I think, you know, at, at this time last year, a lot of the criticisms that we're hearing about him this year were there last year. I don't really understand why they were overlooked a year ago and now are being scrutinized more heavily. Although, you know, look, we, we've seen that plenty of times before. People really just sort of start to, you know, dig in deep on stuff that they probably should – you know, be a little, I mean, it, it, it's over analysis. There's no doubt about that. They get to a point, especially this time of year, where they start to overanalyze things. And look, I think, you know, as this process has gone along, you can see that there is probably a clear difference between him and some of the other quarterbacks. I think personally, the best quarterback in this draft is Malik Willis. I think if you look at the upside, if you look at the overall arm strength and you look at everything that he can do, he is the best quarterback in this draft. Outside of that, though, I think you could make the case that Sam Howell is the second best quarterback in this draft because, to me, there's still questions with Kenny Pickett. I I know that he had a really, really good year this year for Pittsburgh. But at the same time, you know, I still think there are limitations to what he brings to the table. I think that he is a guy that pretty much right now doesn't have a lot of upside to his game because he's a guy that played six years in college football. So he is what he is. Sam Howell, he's a guy that's coming out after three years. And look, you say, well, if he really had that much more upside, why didn't he come back to college? There is upside there, but... As we said, when he ended up declaring for the draft, he has done everything that he can do in this offense. This is a guy that needs to go to the next level and learn an NFL offense because that's one of the challenges that a lot of people are talking about with him and with Matt Corral and a couple other guys that are later on in the draft options at quarterback because they run RPO heavy systems. So, uh, you know, for me personally, If I was a team, taking him at the back half of the first round wouldn't really be a question to me. This is probably the first time where you probably will be – most people will say you have a better opinion of Sam Howell than I do because I don't think he is going to go first round. I think he's probably going to fall out. Um, But ultimately, I think that's what's best for him. Um, My hope is that he can get somewhere into maybe that – that late 30s range, I want him to fall into the 40s. Um, And maybe this team trades up. 
the destination that I would want him at most at this point is Indianapolis. I think, and, and there are some people that are questioning whether or not Frank Reich is going to be there long-term because he was the guy that wanted Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz, I mean, you, I, I, I don't know, because I didn't really think he played that bad, but according to them, he played bad enough for them to trade him. Um, but now they've got Matt Ryan. So I think that, you know, Frank Reich is, is a guy that has done some really good things with quarterbacks before. You saw it with Nick Foles, um, and you saw it, you know, with Carson Wentz at a time. I think that, you know, bringing in Matt Ryan, a guy who's a veteran, um, who really hasn't you know, ever kind of dropped off a cliff has just been a real steady quarterback and has done some really good things in the league. I think that'd be the perfect guy for Sam to learn from. Um, and I think Indianapolis is a place where you can have success. Uh, whereas, you know, if he goes to Detroit, look, I don't think that sitting behind Jared Goff would be the worst thing. One, because I think that, you know, Jared Goff is, is first of all, better than he gets credit for. But two, I don't think Jared Goff is good enough to where you're going to be sitting behind him for a long time. That's a guy where if Sam performs up to the way that we know he's capable of, he could surpass him on the depth chart pretty, pretty quickly. But um, that's that's kind of what I think is going to happen. He will get into that early second round. You could potentially see somebody trade up for him. Um, team like New Orleans is another team to watch. Atlanta. If they don't take a quarterback in the first round, could be a team to watch. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's ultimately what ends up happening. Real quick, the last the, the, the last thing on Sam, where would you want to see him out of the, all the destinations right now? Because I know there were a couple of ones that were floated out there, but ones like Tampa and even New Orleans, which I talked about there, a little less attractive now than they were when we were talking about that right when he declared for the draft when guys like Bruce Arians and Sean Payton were still there. Yeah, Indianapolis, I think you give him and Frank Wright, they could do some really good things together. Um, I've always been kind of in the Minnesota camp uh, for the last year and a half or so, um, just given the nature of, of Kirk Cousins' future there. Um, Atlanta, close to home, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be a bad idea? I've come around, believe it or not, with as much as we talk Panthers at our radio job, that if it's in the second round, and they upgrade the offensive line. I wouldn't hate it as much as, as if they took him at six or if they took him in the first round together without addressing that offensive line. So I do think he has some places where he could go and be a natural fit um, and, and, and still be a, a quality starter in the NFL. I don't think he's going to be the guy we thought he was entering his junior year of college, which was maybe a guy who could be a franchise, maybe elite-level quarterback. But I do think he he has enough of the of enough good traits to where he can still be a ten to fifteen year starter in the NFL of a team that goes to the playoffs more often than not because you can't you can't you you can't doubt his arm strength and, and and you can't question his love and commitment to football given what he did for this program last year for a team that frankly didn't deserve him on their on on their football team. Yeah, and 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 I think you know, one of the things that he definitely helped himself with is he, he became much more mobile. That was something that the first couple of years that he was there, uh, you know, he did it when he had to. But as we saw this year, that's an element of his game, and that can only help him. So I, I think he, he's an intriguing guy. The reason that I wouldn't rule out that he could eventually become, 
I mean, maybe not a franchise quarterback, but maybe a guy like Ryan Tannehill, you know, a guy that can get you to the playoffs, that can win consistently, maybe even Jimmy Garoppolo, something like that, where if you got enough around him, he's got the talent there, is because I think this dude knows the game of football. And, you know, people say, look, there's a learning curve for him coming in. I'm going to tell you, there is nobody that studies the game harder than him. We, we heard that from Mac Brown, who has been allowed a lot of just quarterbacks and college football players in general. And he said, this is one of the hardest working dudes in the film room that I've ever seen. So I think that if he gets in the right system, if he gets with the right coach that can help him, he could get himself into that Tannehill Garoppolo type of area where if he has the right pieces around him, he could succeed and, and, and win a lot of games in the NFL. And I still think, even though he's not going to get drafted as high as, as, as this player did, I still think that he will, in the end, ultimately end up being a better NFL quarterback than Mitch Trubisky because the situations that we're talking about with Sam or the situations that Trubisky probably should have been in himself. But he got overdrafted, and he got put in a situation that he, frankly, probably shouldn't have been put into. And, you know, hopefully he can get his career restarted in Pittsburgh, but it's a lot to ask for a guy that most of the league has already given up on. Um, let's move to, you know, some of the other guys here in this draft. And probably the guy that's going to go next at this point, um, I think it's pretty safe to say he'll be the second guy off the board amongst Toriel draft prospects, is Ty Chandler. Um, and he's a guy that's started to generate a little buzz. He has really helped himself during the pre-draft process. I would say it's very clear that it's either him or Kyler McMichael that has probably helped themselves the most among the Tar Heel draft prospects. But this is a guy that now has seriously put himself in consideration to be a late day two pick. Do you think that he is a guy that could slip into day two because of everything that he brings to the table with the speed, with the power, and with the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield? Yeah, I think that's the real big key for him is that he's not just a one-dimensional back. He can do a lot of different things for your football team as a running back, as a returner. Um, and, and I think that stuff's now invaluable um, in today's NFL. Um, and, you know, you, you see a lot of teams that that's usually their number two back or something like that. I know my Cowboys kind of use that with, with Tony Pollard. And, you know, Ty's, Ty's got the, rear, the, the, the rare mix of, as you said, he's got the speed, he's got the power. Um, he has the ability to to run away from defenders in the open field. He can run through tackles, and you can't deny what he what he put on tape at at Tennessee and his one year at Carolina um, this past season. And um, I, I do think that even though the NFL the, the NFL doesn't value the running backs the way they used to, guys that do what all that he can do, they have a place in the NFL, and those guys are more liable to be drafted in day two. I think it's like Sam Howell in round one. I think it's in the back half of the second round uh, or, 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 or on day two overall. But I do think he'll be a day two draft pick um, on Friday night. Yeah, it, it, this one's – this one I think is even tougher than the Sam Howell question just because – now there is some buzz that maybe 
Buffalo takes a running back at the end of the first round. I've heard Brees Hall is a guy that they have taken a serious look at. You've got Isaiah Spiller, uh, Kenneth Walker, uh, the third, who has gotten some buzz as well. Um, but I, I, I think that ultimately you probably won't see a running back taken until the second round. And I think that's going to kind of limit the amount of guys that will be taken uh, before they get to day three, because here's the thing. Day three has produced some good value running backs. I mean, heck, they, there are a lot of guys in the league now that are undrafted that are doing great things. But just look at the guy last year uh, that was a part of the Tar Heel backfield in the NFL draft that got drafted in the fourth round in Michael Carter. And right now is probably the Jets' best running back. So I think that is my thing when it comes to this question. I think that Michael Carter is probably the better of the two in terms of NFL prospects. Now, the one thing that I will give Ty Chandler, we talked about it this year, is that Chandler has the ability to hit those home run plays on the ground. That was something that we were wanting from Michael Carter, but he just could never seem to hit those big plays on the ground. I think that in the end, Ty Chandler, there's just too many guys in front of him. I think he'll be there early in the fourth round. I think it'll probably be right in that same range that we saw Michael Carter last year. But I, I, I think he will slip into that day three of the draft. But ultimately, I think that might be the best thing for him. I, I think that might actually end up being the best thing for him if he lands in the right type of situation like we saw with Michael Carter. Uh, let's talk about, you know, the offensive linemen. Carolina's got three guys that are pursuing NFL careers on the offensive line, all guys that had the option to come back but that decided – to go ahead and leave early, you got Joshua Zudu, uh, the offensive guard slash tackle. He can play really either. You've got uh, you've got Jordan Tucker, the offensive tackle, um, who you know played for three years as a starter for Carolina, and then you've got a guy who's seen as a full time guard in Marcus McKeithen, who was also a three year starter. So when you look at those three, which one of those to you is the most draftable at this point? It's got to be a Zudu, right? Like he's he, he provides you know position flexibility, and um, he he was really the heart and soul of the left side of Carolina's offensive line the last couple of years. And you could just see a difference when, whenever he was playing at a high level, this offensive line was at a high level. and That meant Carolina's offense was at a high level. And uh, the other two guys, I think they are, they, they can be guys that can play in the NFL, but there's just too much to like about what Izudu can do, um, whether it's at the tackle position or the guard position for him not to be the first offensive line lineman taken on from, from the from the Tar Heels in this draft. Well, you gave the key right there. It's versatility. It's a guy that can play guard, but he can also play tackle. There's a lot of athleticism there. And he's the youngest of the group. He has the most upside. So look, there are definitely still some concerns with anybody that comes from this offensive line. If you go back and look at his his pressure numbers from this year, they're the highest of his career. Same thing with McKeithen, same thing with Tucker. They all have their struggles. But 
I think that when you go back and watch him as a run blocker, there's a lot to like about him. There's a reason that Carolina ran behind him a lot over the last two years. And I think that teams can use that still. Um, we're not, look, the quarterback is still the most important part of a, a, an NFL team. There's no denying that. But you're starting to see that having a running game can really help you um, it, w- when it gets into, you know, the playoffs and everything like that. And, I mean, we, we've seen some teams that have made deep runs based on the performance of their running game. Look, just a few years ago, uh, the San Francisco 49ers made the Super Bowl, really, with the performance of their running game. So I think there is there, there is value to these three guys. I think that Izudu and McKeithen are – Rel- I, I'm not going to say close. I would probably say Azudu's a, a mid to early day three guy. I see McKeithen probably being a seventh round or undrafted guy, but one of the first guys that gets taken because of his size and his physicality. I think there is going to be a market for him. I think he helped himself when he went to the combine. Um, and then I think there's a little bit of a drop off to Tucker. I look at Tucker as a guy that's kind of a camp body. I think somebody's really just going to have to take a risk on him and see if he pays off. And he's another guy that he really, you never questioned him as a run blocker. He did a lot of really good things. He could set the edge for you. And he did that multiple times over the last few years. But the biggest concern with him was he was beat a ton off the outside this year. Speed and squattier uh, defensive ends are going to bother him. And they did all of last year. And it's something that he's got to get a lot better at as he goes to the next level if he wants to stay on a roster. So I'm with you. I think, especially with the versatility, it's hard not to think that Azudu is going to be the most draftable of that group. Now, another guy, and this was a guy that you probably a couple of, you know, really a couple months ago at this point, um, just before the NFL scouting combine, when we thought he was going to be there and will work out, um, you could have said that he could be the second guy off the board, Jeremiah Gimmel, the inside linebacker. Uh, there, there were people that saw him as a fourth to fifth round guy, but unfortunately he had an injury that uh, he, he did have surgery on uh, to his upper body. And he has since been able to participate in uh, his pro day. He was out there, did some, th- did, did some really good things uh, in the drills, um, but still did not run at 40. And uh, is, is a guy that I think may have some limitations early on in camp whenever he joins a team. But now the question is, is he still a guy that people have on their draft boards? Did he do enough at, at his pro day to prove that he is healthy enough for teams to take the risk on him? Uh, because now, uh, you know, a lot of mock drafts that had him as a fourth to fifth round guy kind of see him as a sixth to seventh round guy, or some of them have even completely taken him off the board. So when you look at Jeremiah Gimmel at this point, do you look at him as a guy that is still going to be drafted? Or do you think that, you know, this, this, uh, this injury is, has probably taken him uh, into that undrafted uh, free agent range? Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's so hard to tell because all these NFL teams, they overthink the, the, the drafting process anyway, 
Um, just because he didn't test or whatever doesn't mean that he should not be drafted. You throw on his film, and the film's going to speak for itself. I'll say this. No matter if he gets drafted or not, some team is going to find a really good linebacker, a guy that's going to be great on the field and just as great off the field. I'd love to see him get drafted, but if not, I have no doubt in my mind that Gimmel's going to find his way onto an NFL roster and make an impact because that's what he did at Carolina. He was an impact player on the on, on the field for them, and his leadership was invaluable at times for a defensive unit that that really struggled his entire career at Carolina. So, um, it, you know, it's 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 hard to say if he's going to get drafted or not. Um, I think he should still be drafted, but no matter what, when we, when we roll around to the fall, Gimmel's going to be on an on a NFL roster. This one to me is a pretty easy answer. I'm going to say yes, and the reason why is because I find it hard to believe that this guy didn't impress somebody when they sat down and interviewed him. Teams talked to him. There's no doubt about that. They either, you know, if, if they didn't talk to him at the combine, which my belief, and this is not something that's been confirmed, but my belief is that he was at the combine. He did go there to talk to teams, but did not measure did not participate in any of the drills because of the injury, but he had a chance to impress scouts there when he went into those meeting rooms. And you would imagine that not only did he have a chance to impress him on the field at pro day, but just standing off to the side or even beforehand or, or afterwards talking to some of these scouts and executives, there were probably some people that said, Man, this this kid, there's just something about him because I remember talking to him last year at ACC Media Days. And this is a dude that knows the game of football about as well as anybody that I've seen or heard from in terms of an interview standpoint um, in Carolina's football here recently. Um, and, and Mac Brown said, you know, talking about the leadership, as you were mentioning, this guy is one of the best leaders that he's ever been around. And that's really that is really saying something, considering the different amount of guys, including NFL guys, that Mac Brown was around at Carolina, that he was around at Texas, and that you know he's been around you know just throughout the his time in college football when he was an analyst. So that that says a lot to me, and I think that means somebody is going to take a chance on him. I think it'll probably be sixth round or seventh round I think maybe somebody goes up and grabs him in the fifth but I, I I don't see him going earlier than that but yeah I think somebody takes a chance on him and goes ahead and drafts him uh, and then the last question that we'll ask here look there's four guys remaining because we both went with Joshua Zudu as the best uh, of the three linemen the most draftable of that group so who is the sleeper of this group to you? You got Kyler McMichael, who is a guy that kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, when he left uh, and set out the bowl game and decided to leave to go to the NFL, remember, originally, most people just assumed that he was going into the transfer portal because they most assumed that there was no way that was a dude that was going to be on any draft boards um, or would really get any sort of looks from the NFL. Uh, he was, you know, somehow he was able to get an invite to the East West Shrine game. Um, and he looked really, really good out there in Vegas. 
Uh, some people said he may have been the best defensive back there during the week of practice, and he had a pretty solid game for himself. Um, he didn't get the invite to the combine, which blew my mind after that performance uh, in the East-West Shrine game. But he did come back and put up a blazing number of 4.38 in his 40 time, which would have ranked him inside of the top five defensive backs from the combine uh, if he would have been in attendance. So uh, there, he, he helped himself a lot late in the process. Tamon Fox is still an interesting one because the production is there. Um, but I think that it's, it's something that if you go back and watch the film, it's rather inconsistent, but teams may be willing to take a risk on a guy and, and, and feel like they can put him in a situation that will allow him to be more successful. And then you have Marcus McKeithen and Jordan Tucker, who we talked about just a minute ago. From that group, who do you think is the sleeper of that group uh, to make, you know, potentially make some noise on an NFL roster over the summer and potentially into the fall? I think it's got to be McMichael for all the things you said about what what really propelled him to this point after he announced he was going pro. And look, when it comes to McMichael, it was never a, that he lacked the talent we thought to be a big time impact player. I don't know if it was a lack of confidence in the system that really stood in the way of him being a big time player or a more consistent player in that secondary. But I do think he has traits that show up in today's NFL where he can he can be. A, a, a really good piece in a defensive backfield, whether it's a, in a starting role or a reserve role, because um, as we saw at certain times last year and throughout his time at Carolina, he has a knack of being at the right place at the right time. Um, like most guys in the secondary, though, does have to become a better tackler and a better finisher, but he has some things that really translate to the way the NFL game is being played now. And, um, you know, he, he, he had this, you know, rise – after entering the draft, I think that'll continue. I think this will be a guy that, well, when we look back in five to six years, we'll say, we didn't think he was going to be a good NFL player, but that's why we talk about sports and those guys play sports. Well, and this is where when you look at the draft, the pre-draft process and as much fun of it as, as a lot of people make, uh, this is a guy that really helped himself during this time. It gave teams a chance to look at him again and, see that, look, there are, there's a skill set there, but there's just areas where he's got to fine tune. You're right. hundred percent. I think the biggest concern with him is run defense. He, I mean, he had a couple of plays this past year that just left us scratching our head in the open field. That's an area where he's got to be a lot better if he wants to make an NFL roster. Um, he's a guy that I think teams need to understand is not the greatest at playing the football. He does not create a lot of turnovers, but at the same time, there are value. There, there is value for those type of, of guys on NFL rosters because, I mean, look, James Bradbury, a guy that was here in Carolina and eventually went on to play for the New York Giants and is a guy that will probably be on the move here um, during this draft, uh, is a guy that's kind of made a career out of that of being a guy that's just in the right place at the right time. He doesn't create a lot of interceptions, but he's able to be there and make plays on the football. I still think there are times where McMichael kind of lacks in that area where he's in the right position, but just can't make a play on a 50, 50 ball. He's got to be more consistent with that, but 
you can tell that the talent is there for him. And yeah, in this in this pre-draft process, I think he showed that he's the sleeper of this group. Now, I will say this: I do think that with the success that we saw prior to this year from McKeithen, I feel like there is a chance that he could also, if he gets in a system um, that will allow him some time to grow, um, and especially if it's a run-heavy system, I think he will have a chance to potentially succeed. Um, like, I, I think one of the situations that I think could be great for him is if he was to land in a place like Baltimore. I think, you know, you've got to be a, a guy that can run to, uh, that or that can uh, run block uh, in that offense. And I think that fits sort of his more, you know, mauler mentality. I don't think he's a guy that's really he, – he's not, not going to beat up on anybody. He's not quite the guy – that finishes blocks like some of the t- the uh, tackles and guards that you see higher up on the draft boards, but he's still a guy that I think has those capabilities. We've seen it at times from him, and I think for the most part, you know, before this season, he was a pretty solid pass protector as well on the interior. So I, I definitely think that he is a guy to watch as well. Um, but I just think there is there is so much potential there for McMichael. There's a reason. Why, when he transferred from Clemson, people thought that he could potentially overtake the starting role from Storm Duck, uh, and and I think that you're going to get a chance to see that if he lands on the right team. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, you know a few of these guys, as I mentioned, Sam Howell, the majority of the focus, but we'll also talk some Ty Chandler and Joshua Zudu with Russell Brown, an NFL scout for. Uh, the uh, Cover One podcast uh, also does a draft guide for them as well. So make sure that you guys uh, check that out. We'll hear from him next on those guys. We'll also talk transfer portal updates. Uh, Carolina lands two guys and loses one. We'll tell you about that. And we'll also hit you with a couple of cl- closing notes on the way out. Stick around here on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Back the right NBA after playoffs means next-level basketball. Get in on the first round of action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet during the first round with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, place a same-game parlay each day with three or more legs and get up to $25 in free bets back if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Now use the promo code TPPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TPPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, we are now joined from Cover One. Uh, he does a podcast uh, covering the NFL draft, also has a draft guide that he releases. We talked to him last year. He's back with us again this year on the Heel Tough Blog podcast. It's Russell Brown. 
Russell, how's it going, man? I know this is a hectic time. You're at, you're actually this year here with us on the week of the draft. So I imagine that this week is a crazy one for you as you get prepared for uh, what honestly is probably one of the craziest drafts that we've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a busy week for sure. I mean, tomorrow there's four or five different interviews and, and Wednesday, the same thing and Thursday as well. And then a live draft show in downtown Detroit. But uh, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff going on. I'm just I'm happy it's draft week. I'm, I'm sad. It's bittersweet. You know, it's I'm, I'm super pumped, but I'm sad to see it go. But I'm also happy to kind of take a breath for a minute and kind of get back to normal life for a second. But I just I love the grind. I love talk and draft and I'm, I'm super pumped to be talking some Tar Heels with you tonight yeah man and look I think uh, you know everybody on the Tar Heel side of things is kind of focused on one guy and it was a guy that you know heading into last year a lot of people thought that he was going to be one of the gems of this year's draft both him and Spencer Radler Spencer Radler's not even here Sam Howell is but there are a couple of guys that have maybe jumped him on some big boards uh, at the at the quarterback position, you know, where do you stack Sam Howell up amongst this quarterback group? One that I still feel like people are kind of all over the place on. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it and, and for and for the right reasons when it comes to this quarterback group. I mean, there's a lot of up and down play when you look at every single prospect in this position group. But with Sam, he is somebody that I think if if he wouldn't have lost the playmakers, as as Tar Heel fans know, you know, in Brown and Newsom and and, um, you know, Javante Williams and Michael Carter, if he would have not lost those guys, I think we'd be talking about him a lot more in the first round because that just kind of messes with the timing of a quarterback. It kind of messes with him mentally on the field, which Sam even admits at times, you know, like I, I he's come out and said, you know, if I would have maybe had my timing down a little bit better, I, maybe I would have placed a couple of balls better or I wouldn't have hesitated as much with some of my reads and he probably would have worked more through progressions and not been as mobile this past year, but the mobility was a big plus. And Sam for me is, is my fourth ranked quarterback. I got a second round grade on him. I think he is, you know, close to being a top 50 player in this draft. He's 51st on my board. So have at it as well, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a, he's a tough player to project of where ultimately the best fit is for him. And I think that's the hardest thing with quarterbacks is, What's the best fit for them? Because they don't all go to the right spot. But Sam is one of those guys. If he goes to the right spot, it might actually work out for him. Well, you know, one of the comparisons that we've seen a lot of people use, and, and you go with it as well um, in your draft guide, is Baker Mayfield. Why do you think that he resembles Baker? And, and with where Baker kind of is right now, which is kind of his career being in uh, a bit of, uh, purgatory. What do you think about that comparison to him? Is it just, uh, you know, mainly as a player? And, and do you think that hurts his chances of, of teams picking him at any, at this point? No, I don't. I mean, I think the biggest thing with Baker is obviously just some of the stuff off the field with him and, and having the chip on your shoulder is one thing, but when you have the chip and act like you're always the underdog, despite being a first overall pick and all this stuff that kind of Baker goes through, it's, it's kind of tough to always buy into him as a person, but I don't know him personally, so I can't sit here and bash him for that. But on the field, I, I don't, I think Baker kind of gets a bad rap. It's similar to here in Detroit, Jared Goff. He also gets a bad rap, but 
he manages games relatively well. I'm not saying, you know, they're superstar and quarterbacks, but they're good enough to get the job done. And I think that's what Sam Howell can become. He can be good enough to get the job done for a team that's in place to potentially win on maybe a short window now or potentially to develop around a player like Sam. And two teams that make the most sense to me, the New Orleans Saints would would be a, a great landing spot for him, I think, just simply because of some of the weapons that they already have in place. Obviously, they've, they've got to do some things on the offensive line. You know, Taron Armstead is gone. But with, with, with Sam, I mean, why I compare him to Baker is, is that he's a tough runner. He has the desired mobility uh, to always create plays in and out of the pocket. He has an arm that it just really pops. I mean, the ball f- flies out of his hands pretty consistently. And he is somebody that I, I think as you see how Baker takes shots downfield and does things like that, like I, I think Sam does it in a similar way. Now, the ball placement and the aggressiveness downfield can get spotty. I think at times he takes those unnecessary shots. And like I said in the guide, I mean, he, he plays a little bit with too much hesitation. And I think that's the biggest concern with him is if he was less hesitant and just made a decision to fire it over the middle of the field towards the sideline, wherever he would, I think, be more productive as a player, but also people wouldn't really second guess him. It's just, you see him kind of scanning and scanning and then there's no decision and then it's tuck it and run. And it's like, I get things are covered, but at times as, as he likes to take these shots vertically at times in the middle of the field and stuff like that, you got to force a throw every now and again. So he is somebody that is a great baseball player, as I've mentioned uh, on, on radio shows and things like that in the draft guide, it's there. He, he's an athlete. He's a very good player. I think he's, he's put together pretty well from a, a physical standpoint. You know, there's not a lot of concerns with like, you know, you look at Matt Corral, he's only 205 pounds. It's not going to withstand in the NFL. Sam Howell's 220. So I think he's going to be okay from a size perspective. I think the arm strength is there. I think if you give him a, 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 another year and some weapons, I think he can really take a step further in his career. And I know the NFL teams in the NFL really like him. So one of the things that I've heard about him and Matt Corral from, you know, some people in the draft community is that they are concerned about the RPO offenses that both of those guys run at the college level. How big of a learning curve is that? for guys when they go to the NFL? And do you think that that is a concern with these two guys and could be holding them back a little bit? Yeah, it could be. And I I think the biggest concern with that is, you know, when you're running an RPO type of offense, you know, you're reading right away. You're, you're, you're getting the ball. You're, you're bringing the ball down into the mesh point. You're reading the defensive end, the linebacker, the safety, whatever your read is, you're reading something on the field. And then you're making that decision of, making the slant pass or throwing it deep down the field or just giving it to the running back. Whereas in the NFL, you don't have all of those reads all the time. We see guys under center, they got to run play action, whether it's a bootleg play. And if you're, and if your eyes are just not used to, and your mind is not used to running those types of concepts and style of offense, you end up hurting yourself uh, in, in the in the terms of evaluating, because when you when you look at it, that player now has to reset the entire field as he turns his back to the field. As we talk about, like a bootleg, for example, he's running, he hands it off or fakes the handoff, and then he's bootlegging to the left or to the right, and he's he's got to essentially turn around and reset everything. And if you don't show that consistently enough, NFL evaluators and teams they know the type of concepts and styles that come to the NFL, what plays with that. And if you struggle at all, then I think it can lead to obviously these types of question marks. And if you don't show it at all at tape, 
there's that unknown factor. Doesn't mean he can or cannot do it. It just leads to that unknown. And that's why players like Malik and, and Kenny Pickett and, and even Desmond Ritter, those guys are really getting a lot of that hype and that buzz in the first round more consistently because they kind of show a, a little bit more of a wide range in the offense rather than this RPO stuff. So when you look at that second round where you kind of see Sam in, who are some of those teams kind of in the middle of that second round? You talked about the Saints already. Are there some other teams? I know one that I've kind of started looking at is Indianapolis. You know, or, or who are those teams in, in that middle of the second round that could be taking a serious look at Sam? Seattle is, is the one that really jumps to me, 40-41. Uh, I, I think that though either one of those spots make a lot of sense. And I, I did mention New Orleans, and I, I know at, at pick 49, it would be a home run for them. But again, I it wouldn't be surprised if he was the guy at 16 or 19, if it's somehow, some way, Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett are off the board. But also, I mean, who's to say it? I, I always say this, Atlanta trading back into the first round. They've got the draft capital to do it. Green Bay has been known to move around. I think Sam Howell could potentially be a day one pick Kansas city. They have a lot of draft capital, but do they really want pick 29 and 30 with how the contracts are built today in the NFL? Would they much rather get an extra day two pick and package something up early enough to move up into day two. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of things that can go with that where I think Sam again could be taken in that first round uh, simply because of a team like Seattle, a team like New Orleans, even though I don't think I don't think they would trade back in. I think they would make sense. Would Pittsburgh make sense as maybe a team that moves up if they keep 20 or do they stay at 20 and take them? And really the sleeper team, I think, in the quarterback room is in, is Tennessee. I mean, I've said it all along. Ryan Tannehill's not getting the job done. He's essentially getting to the end of that contract where they can get out of it and save a bunch of money. And they're going to have to save some money as they prepare to you know, pay A.J. Brown and however they structure all of that. So if you want to get a rookie quarterback on that rookie deal, Tennessee at 26 might make a lot of sense for a Desmond Ritter, who's best, you know, Mike Vrabel's best friends with Luke Fickle. You also obviously, as I mentioned, Sam Howell there. Um, and, and lastly, and maybe even the biggest wild card of, his, of it all is, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I only say that because Mac Brown, the former, the current head coach of North Carolina is really close. I think in, how his tenure of coaching over the course of his career, very close to Bruce Arians. Now, long story short on this is Bruce Arians was supposed to get the Virginia tech job long time ago, back in the eighties, Mac Brown was coaching, I think at LSU at the time, Arians was at Alabama and the job actually ends up going to Frank Beamer. But the, the moral of the story is at some point or another, Bruce Arians and Mac Brown have had to had conversations at some point throughout this draft process or previous draft processes and at one point, have they maybe talked about a Sam Howell? Again, I'm just speculating, but could they have speculated on getting a Sam Howell at 27 or moving up from 60 and, and going up and getting that quarterback in the second round to, to, to prepare for the future uh, beyond Tom Brady, who we, I mean, he's already retired once he's come out. Could he retire after this season? And then there's kind of that quarterback competition between Kyle Trask and Sam Howell. I think it's all very interesting. Again, I'm kind of grasping at straws with that one, but realistically, some of those other teams, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, uh, certainly Seattle and maybe Atlanta or even New Orleans make a lot of sense for Sam. 
Well, that's the, I, I think that's great because I feel like there are a lot of people with this draft that are kind of saying, look, there's only a finite amount of teams that are looking at quarterbacks. But I think that notarial fans can, can feel pretty secure with what you were saying there, that there are some teams that are looking for, you know, maybe guys down the road. And I think that's probably the best situation for Sam is to get in a system where he can sit and learn from some guys. Uh, I think that, man, that Tennessee idea, I think would be great for him. Uh, no doubt about it. Let's talk about one of the guys that was in the backfield with him this past year. Was only there for one year at Carolina, but put up some really productive numbers. And I think personally has helped himself a lot here during the pre-draft process. What do you make of Ty Chandler and and, and what do you think about his draft stock? Has he kind of helped himself here throughout the pre-draft process? He really has. I mean, he's had this breakout season for the Tar Heels as as we mentioned, you know, Michael Carter and Javante Williams, they were gone. There was a big question mark out of the backfield. And Chandler comes out and he does a great job. He shows great overall speed, patience, the ability to catch passes out of the backfield, and some really good fluidity in the open field. He runs a 4-3-8 at the combine. And just with the way it's kind of shaped up for him, I mean, is there a chance that he's a top 100 pick? Absolutely, especially if we see a running back in the first round, like maybe a Brees Hall to the Buffalo Bills. I think Chandler could easily sneak into that late third, early or, or middle fourth round range and become maybe a top 100, top 115 type player. I, I think the pass catching ability is what really helps him because you need guys that are on that third down level and playing on third downs consistently. You don't need those question marks. I mean, 15 passes, you know, uh, this past year isn't exactly I would say a, a true pass catcher, but he's done it consistently over the course of his career where he's been able to catch 15 to 20 passes plus every single year. So I, I think that's the key, but also he's got that special teams ability. I mean, he's a punt returner, a kick returner, somebody that just makes a lot of sense for this organization, this team or for, for an organization and for those teams out there that are looking for a backup type of running back. So I, I think he is somebody that, maybe falls under the radar a little bit, but similar to like maybe a, a Tyler Goodson in a sense that maybe falls under the radar or even a Tyler Batty out of Missouri that just ends up going somewhere in that fourth round range, third round range, and becomes a, a, a not, I don't want to say a starter, but a, a nice little chess piece for an offense out there. Would you kind of compare him a little bit to what Michael Carter was coming out last year? Because I feel like that's kind of similar to what we heard about him last year, where if he goes to the right team, he can make an impact early, not only because of what he brings as a runner, but what he brings as a pass catcher. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I will say, I, I would, I would definitely say I liked Michael Carter's tape more than I like Ty Chandler's tape. And that's no disrespect to Ty, but I, I will, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'll never understand how Michael Carter went into the fourth round. That blows my mind to this day. It makes no sense why the NFL allows things like that to happen, but it is what it is. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a similar range there, you know, maybe at pick 105, pick 107, like, like Chandler did. So, or like uh, Carter did, excuse me. But yeah, I, I think there's going to be a team out there as you look in, into that draft. I mean, everybody all the time is looking at running backs. We, you know, New Orleans, I, I just got done with the radio spot actually in Baton Rouge. And we got, at, I got asked about uh, a team that could look at a running back. And I think Ty Chandler at maybe pick 98 for a team like, the New Orleans Saints or even pick 120 somewhere in that range would be a great landing spot for him. And I think it's a realistic spot. So 
obviously we'll, we'll see what happens there, but you know, teams like Houston, they pick at 107, 108. They got back-to-back picks there in the fourth round. They got a lot of draft capital. Could they look at a running back if they pass on them in the second round? You know, they've been heavily linked to Kenneth Walker and stuff like that at pick 37, but if they pass on him, do they, do they wait till that, that range again, 107, 108 for, for a player like Ty Chandler? Well, the last guy we'll ask you about, you know, Carolina has got a few guys on the offensive line that are pursuing NFL careers this year. But it seems like as we've gotten closer and closer to the draft, the guy that most people have looked at as probably the best chance of getting drafted amongst those guys is Joshua Zudu. You know, what do you make of of, of him? I, I think a lot of people kind of look at him as a guy that's got you know some upside to him and a little bit of versatility but what do you look at from his perspective and and where do you kind of see him factoring in here as we get uh, probably into day three of the draft well I I wish I would have been able to watch more of him I only watched two games and you know kind of a game and a half in depth he really caught my eye against Virginia Tech and, and and in a team like Duke and he was somebody that just every single time you watched him, I mean, you, you see this guy that's got kind of a flexible lower half. He really stood out with his power, his patience. He was just able to finish consistently. And I think he is somebody that can play multiple spots, whether it's either guard spot, either tackle spot, and that's valuable. Teams love versatile offensive linemen that can be that swing tackle and again, play either guard spot. So I think he could go a lot sooner than expected. Um, I I think a lot of people look at him and say, oh, he's a fourth or fifth round pick. It wouldn't surprise me if we start seeing a run on offensive linemen, especially at the top of the draft. I mean, we always talk about where's Evan Neal going, Ike McQuanu, stuff like that. So if those guys are gone early in the top 10 and we see potentially three or four offensive tackles, they're gone in the top 10. I think that's going to force teams in the later part of the first round, like maybe Cincinnati, maybe Kansas City, maybe even Green Bay. They're at 28. That might force themselves to take an offensive tackle at that position because they're not going to be able to get them later. Because you look at Seattle, multiple picks in the in the second round, the New York Jets as well. Teams have a lot of draft capital where these tackles and, and, and especially these versatile ones are going to go a lot sooner. And I, I think that's the thing with Ozuda. It, and I, I know I butcher his name there, but if you look at him in the third round, I mean, I, I, I love the thought of maybe a Baltimore there at 76. I would say that's maybe kind of like the, the rich spot is maybe the earliest that he would go. But then, you know, you look at Tampa Bay, you look at Green Bay at 92, uh, New Orleans at 98. If they miss on a tackle at 16 or 19, maybe they take this guy and they try to develop him into something more. So I think there's, there's enough teams there in that third round range that will really like him. That is Russell Brown. He is a national scout for Cover One, NFL draft analyst for Woodward Sports, NFL draft podcast host. And, uh, hey, man, tell people where they can uh, check out uh, what you guys have going on on draft night. If you go over to his Twitter, you can check out uh, his guide at Russ uh, NFL Draft. But, yeah, where can they check out that draft night coverage that uh, you and some of your uh, your partners are going to be having uh, during draft night? Yeah, so you can go over to YouTube and search Woodward Sports, uh, W-O-O-D-W-A-R-D Sports. Uh, Just check it out. Uh, There'll be a live stream that starts at 7.30 p.m. I'll be live at some point during the night multiple times. Uh, Don't necessarily have the full-on schedule of exactly what time I'll be jumping on, but I'll be there at the Brass Rail in downtown Detroit talking 
NFL draft, talking Lions, talking a whole lot of football. I'm super excited about it. And you can also, like you mentioned a couple times already, get my draft guide. It's absolutely free. Um, it's on cover1.net. There's over 165 players on there. So download it, enjoy it, read it. And if you feel generous and you want to give somebody money, don't give it to me. Give it to the three charities that are linked in there and uh, just, you know, do something like that. And then I appreciate it. But other than that, man, it's always fun talking football, especially some Tar Heels. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate you stopping by, man. I love what you do. And uh, it's great. You got, uh, I've, I've read that draft guide each of the last two years. I love, you know, the breakdowns that you give of the guys. And uh, I think it's fantastic that uh, you do point people towards those charities and everything like that. So, hey, man, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for being so generous with your time. Uh, enjoy this week. I know it's going to be crazy for you, man. And uh, have fun out there on uh, on Thursday night. I'll definitely have to uh, check in on you guys on that live stream and uh, give you guys a listen. All right, man. I appreciate it, brother. All right. So we want to thank Russell Brown for stopping by with us. Great stuff with him. Uh, loved having him on last year and uh, so glad that we were able to get him back on this year. Make sure you check out all the draft covers that he has uh, on cover one, uh, as well as uh, Woodward sports uh, and make sure you check out that live stream that they're going to have on draft night. Well, let's talk about the transfer portal guys, because Carolina has been doing some damage there. It's been quiet on the recruiting trail front, but Carolina hosted two official visits for transfers over the weekend, both guys from Ohio State, and they land both players. It started on Sunday or uh, excuse me, on Monday night uh, when defensive back Lejean Cavazos committed to Carolina. This is a guy that since he entered the transfer portal Back on April 4th, uh, Carolina has been right in the thick of it. And weirdly enough, look, as a defensive back, clearly Dre Bly was involved here. Mac Brown was, you know, a big part of his visit to campus over the weekend. And, of course, that's got to be a big part of why he wanted to play here. But one of the things that seemed to pull him to Carolina the most was the chance to be on the same campus and to be close with uh, a guy that seems to be one of his best friends and a guy that uh, referred to him as one of his best friends uh, in Armando Baycott, Tar Heels senior power forward um, that, uh, you know, is back for his senior season in Chapel Hill as he hopes to cut down uh, a championship uh, net this time around uh, after falling just short this year. Um, and now he's going to get a chance to be on campus with one of uh, his best friends, a guy that played at IMG Academy during that same time, and a guy that transfers in uh, after, you know, struggling to earn a spot in the rotation uh, at Ohio State. You know, he was in a backup role for the majority of last season, but didn't see a ton of time, and then got that position overtaken from him um, by some extremely talented guys at Ohio State uh, this this spring. So, uh, he entered the transfer portal, and uh, Carolina ends up picking him up. Now, the good thing about him is he's a guy that can play corner, and he's a guy that can play safety. So a little bit of versatility there. And, buddy, this was well, a position that we talked about, primarily safety, um, but even corner. That, that's still an area where Carolina is a little thin. Um, the emergence of Dante Balfour in spring practice, I think, definitely helped to ease some of those concerns there. But this is – it's something that Carolina is in need of right now are versatile pieces 
on the back end of this defense. They need that safety help, but you know, with the injury issues that this team has had uh, at at corner over the last, it's probably been about five or six years now. Um, it, it it makes sense to bring in a guy as versatile as this that can help you at multiple positions. Yeah, and I mean, great awareness. Um, Armando Baycott recruiting um, for both main programs now at Carolina. Um, but yeah, th- th- this this was a big get um, for Mac Brown for that secondary, which being which is being revamped um, un- un- under Gene Chizik um, th- th- this offseason. and. Look, if, if you're at if you're at the Ohio State, you're a talented football player, so you don't got to question his talent. Um, you know, as you mentioned, he's, he hasn't had a whole lot of playing time. But look, there's playing time to be had here. Carolina needs to have impact players um, on on the field, and that was the bit we talked about under under Jay Bateman's scheme was that you know if you don't have a game changing safety, it was really hard for the defense to be the best version of itself. I don't know if Carolina's defense is going to need a game changer at safety, but it needs consistency, whether he's lining up at corner or at safety. And uh, if he can do that, then I think this defense can can take the next step to be an average. And that's really all we're asking this defense to be is is just be average because you've been downright pitiful the last two seasons. And um, good job by the staff. They haven't been as aggressive this year in the portal um, as, as they have been in years past, because you're coming off a, a down season, you're not as you're you're, you're no longer the, the cool place to be, as Mac Brown likes to say. But they're able to get him on campus and not let him leave without a commitment. So I think that speaks volumes to uh, to Mac Brown and his staff um, that, that they, they can still attract top talent in the portal to come play for them in Chapel Hill. Yeah, and I think you know when it comes to bringing him in here and, 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 you know, potentially putting him at safety, like you said, I mean, at this point, yeah, you're not looking for just a guy that can be an upgrade and, and, and take you to a superstar level. You're looking for a guy that can be consistent on the back end that can communicate the way that you need him to, um, because there has been a lot of inconsistency back there the last couple of seasons. And, you know, th- that's a group that has allowed a lot of big plays. That was one thing that Gene Shizik said coming in was that they had to limit the big plays and that the defensive backfield was an area where they really struggled with communication. And I know that there were a lot of injuries back there in the spring, but in that spring game, they had issues in that secondary once again, primarily with those safeties. So I think that's the area where he's going to get his first crack at now. Look, if they put him at corner, which was where he played at Ohio State exclusively, they did not use him at safety, but he did play both when he was at IMG Academy and had good success at both. I think he could factor in there as well. And and look, they Carolina's got to have guys that are ready at corner. It's just it's just that simple because the last couple of years, Storm Duck has gotten banged up. And, you know, it's hurt Carolina. Yeah. I mean, you did have Kyler McMichael and you saw that there were some inconsistencies with him, but there was even a time where he got banged up. So, you know, this is year in and year out now where every year Carolina seems to be sustaining multiple injuries to the secondary as a whole, but primarily at corner. So they have to be ready for if another situation like this pops up, 
you want to avoid the situation that they got themselves to last year, which was they had to move Don Chapman out there, not because they wanted to, but because they had to, and Don Chapman played corner in high school. You want to get to a point where you can have guys that you trust there, that you can even rotate in there at times if you need to, because you just feel like a guy needs a breather. And I think Cavazos gives them that opportunity to do it at safety and at corner. Now coming with him is going to be one of his teammates, Jacoby Cowan, a a former four-star in the 2020 class. And uh, if that name sounds familiar, it should. He's a former four-star defensive lineman from in-state here, went to Providence Day uh, High School, um, and and was a teammate of a guy that is currently on the roster in Kedrick Bingley-Jones. You know, with with him, it, it is kind of interesting because people are saying, well, they bring in a defensive lineman. Isn't this a group that's pretty loaded? Yes, but I think the area that they are bringing him in, the depth there isn't as strong as you probably think. At 275 pounds, 6'4", 275, he's a guy that probably projects more as a power end. So he looks like he's going to be in that same camp as a guy like Des Evans, Potentially Cayman Rucker. We don't really know where Cayman Rucker is going to be at because he had an injury that cost him all of spring camp. So they still are trying to figure out where exactly he fits within this defense. But Cowan's a guy that probably fits as that pass rushing end, um, which the depth there isn't really that strong outside of those two guys that I just told you about. Um, So I think this is one that was probably – a little bit of a sneaky need for Carolina. You had this guy enter the portal, and it was a guy that you had a former relationship with. And, you know, I I, I still think this is one of those kind of long plays that could once again show that, look, the best in the state, even if they don't come here initially, they eventually come here and play at Carolina, especially if he's able to have success. This one, I think, is one of those ones where there's not a lot of risk to taking him on, uh, and there could be a lot of reward if he ends up succeeding and having success. Yeah, and, you know, look, there you can never have too much guys to play up front. You, you, just, you just can't. Not in the era of football that we live in with tempo and stuff like that. And what's been a big issue for this defensive line the last couple of years is that it's been worn down come November. Um, and they they're doing a much better job of bulking up the depth. And um, this is another example of the transfer portal being beneficial because you already have those established relationships with this kid. And it makes it easier to get him to come back and, 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 and play for you. And um, I think he's a guy that can help this defensive line because um, there are questions about where where certain guys are going to play and how effective they can be. And. Um, so you, you're, you're going to have just more depth. And I think that's going to be a really big thing um, for Gene Chizik in this defense. If, if they can get quality depth at all three levels of it, I do think, you know, maybe in two years they can be a really good, solid defensive unit. And um, he, may, he, he may be a big part of that um, going, in, going into the future. Yeah, and I, I think that, when, when you look at the guys that they've brought in, they've done a good job of bringing in uh, across the five guys that they brought in in the transfer portal, um, you know, guys that 
kind of bring you different things. You've got, you know, a couple of one-year guys that are going to bring some leadership with them and, and, and can have an immediate impact in center, you know, center Corey Gaynor and, uh, and, you know, edge rusher Noah Taylor. Then you've got, you know, guy, a guy that's going to be there for a couple of years, but can also, you know, has the experience to his name and, you know, can factor in for you on the offensive line and in, in, in Spencer Rollin. That's a guy that's coming up a level as well from Harvard. So that'll be interesting to see how he transitions in. And then you've got Cavazos and Cowan, two young guys that are going to have three years of eligibility. So these are guys that look, if they don't make a huge impact this year, that doesn't mean that they're not going to make an impact moving forward. So I think they've done a really good job of bringing in guys that are going to compete at all these positions. But there are a couple of guys like these last two that, hey, if these guys don't jump out and immediately make huge impacts, it's not the end of the world. We saw, you know, what this team has right now in spring practice. If these guys can help to fill some of those voids, great. If not, then we're rolling with the guys that we have and we'll try to game plan around that. Um, so I, I think, you know, both of these guys really help. Now, the guy that Carolina does lose to the portal, that's Kamaro Edmonds, uh, you know, depth running back. He was a guy that coming into camp, you know, Mac Brown said, look, he's dropped 25 pounds. We feel like, you know, he's one of those guys that could be a factor here in this battle in the backfield for reps um, behind British Brooks. And it just never really seemed to materialize. You know, he was the only guy um, out of the group that didn't really play significant snaps during the spring game. He didn't take his first snap until the second to last drive of the game. And that was when most of the depth guys were in. You saw Jefferson Boaz at quarterback, Russell Tabor. So he didn't run with a, either the ones or the twos. So uh, that at that point, it was kind of evident that he was a guy that was kind of behind the rest of this group. Um, and that doesn't even take into account that you've got Amari and Hampton, that's coming in. You had uh, Caleb Hood, who didn't participate in the spring game, who is still going to be a factor in that backfield. So this one definitely made a lot of sense on paper, but you hate to see it for a guy that was an in-state four-star prospect, and it just didn't materialize at least fast enough in his mind. Uh, and he's gone after just one year. Last year was his true freshman season, and he was heading into his redshirt freshman year, and he's already in the portal uh, looking for a new place uh, to play football. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, we we knew at some point someone in that running back room was going to have to go away, right? Like there, mm -hmm. there was a lot of talent, not enough spots on the field. I don't think we thought it was going to be Kamaro Edmonds at the going into last year, at the end of last year. But as you said, when you when you got out of the spring game and stuff like that, it did become apparent that he he wasn't as up to speed and, and ready to go as some of the other guys and. Um, you know, look, the thing about Mac Brown and this staff is that um, they're they're proactive about those situations and they're upfront and honest and they, they they're, they're trying to do what's best for the kid and what's best for Kamaru Edmonds if he wants to play college football is is probably to transfer and they told him that and that's why he's seeking another opportunity um, to, to go somewhere else and, and, and be an uh, in, impactful player at the college level. Um, but the good news is, is they've got plenty of talent. They've got plenty of depth. The running back room is going to be okay. I'm um, heading into this season. It's really this simple. This is what's going to happen when you recruit at this type of level. And Carolina's recruited that 
positioned very, very well over the last few seasons. There's a reason why uh, in this 2023 class, they have extended one offer in a, to a running back. And uh, it is not one of the guys that a lot of people thought they would extend an offer to uh, an in-state four-star running back, uh, Dalen Smothers, because they are so loaded up at the position that they feel like uh, they're in a good spot and they don't really need to bring another guy into this group that they have in the backfield. So, yeah, you're right. It was pretty much inevitable. I think one of the things that maybe nobody saw coming, I think a lot of people heading into spring camp, at least from some of the people, you know, some of the fans talking that I saw and even some of the people that were a little bit closer to the program, uh, they thought that it would probably be Elijah Green. But Elijah Green is a guy that may have made the most significant jump of any of the running backs during spring practice and now has himself solidly uh, in the conversation to earn some significant reps this season. Heck, at this point, he could be the number two running back for this team. Um, so I, I think that was probably part of the reason what, what went into this transfer. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I think he's a guy that, I mean, he was a four-star for a reason. It came down to Carolina and LSU for him. Um, so there's talent there. Uh, and I think he'll, he'll probably find himself. I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up staying local, goes closer to where he grew up, which, uh, you know, was in Havelock, North Carolina. So a lot of those guys usually sometimes end up finding themselves back uh, at East Carolina. So we'll see. But I think he is going to have a, a chance to land somewhere. That's one of those guys that I have no doubt in my mind enters the portal and he will find a place relatively quickly. So let's get to a couple of closing notes on the way out. Um, these first two I want to ask you about before I'll reel off just a couple of recruiting notes. Uh, Phil Longo met with the media the other day. Him, Gene Chizik, and Mac Brown all met with the media. And there were you know, a good amount of things uh, that they talked about. We have an article up on the website right now that you guys can check out. The takeaways, that one is a loaded uh, edition of those. Usually we give you about three or four when it's just Mac Brown. This time, I, I think it was about seven or eight. We gave you a ton in there. So make sure you go check that out over on the website. Um, but one of the main things that stood out from that press conference from Phil Longo was him talking about the quarterback battle because Carolina played three quarterbacks in the spring game with the ones and twos. You saw Connor Harrell be the second quarterback to take snaps. And from Everything that we heard, that was a three-horse race entering that, uh, that, that spring game. Well, now, according to Phil Longo, he said, look, we like what we've seen from Connor Harrell, but this let, let's be honest with ourselves, this is a two-player battle. So I, I think we kind of knew this going in, but it is, it, it is at least something worth noting that uh, Carolina is, is down to two because, I mean, look, people are worried that Carolina could go with the two-quarterback system, and I think that's still a possibility. Phil Longo mentioned that and, and said that that's something that him and Mac Brown have had success with before. Um, but this is, with them eliminating a guy from this race, uh, Carolina's actually in a better position in terms of the overall guys in this race than they were Back in 2019, when Sam Howell, Jace Reuter, and Cade Fortin were still battling it out. I think the thing that a lot of people are wondering at this point, though, is, is look, they're down to two now. 
do you ultimately think they get down to one? But in your mind, how important is it that they get down to one quarterback before the start of the season? It's very important. Um, I, I don't think in today's era of football where you play with tempo and stuff like that, it's 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 beneficial to to run two quarterbacks. Um, and look, if, if there's if there's a coach and a coordinator that could figure it out, yeah, maybe Phil Longo and Mac Brown are, are the two guys that could do it. But um, I, I would feel a lot more confident this team being more competitive at the start of the season. And if we've talked about it, you know, earlier in the year, they've they've got a pretty tricky September that they got to navigate if if they if they enter the season knowing who their starter is. Um, I think it's a, it's a it's a good thing that they know going into fall camp that it's already down to two quarterbacks. That'll make it easier to 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 figure out, you know, to to, to determine who's going to be the starter ultimately when the season starts. But uh, you're never going to convince me. I mean, unless you got unless it's like Nick Saban, Ryan Day, one of those guys. Those guys, if 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 you want to want to run two quarterbacks, someone's going to balk at you. If Carolina wants to be a team that's competing to to play for an ACC title, they need to start fast. That only happens if you have your starting quarterback in week zero of the season. I think that game maybe you could go in with with some questions, but I think you have to come out of that game with some answers. Because that first week of the season, the first full week of the season, you have to travel on the road to play App State. And, I mean, look, that's not one that if you lose it kills everything for you because App State is a, a, a more than justified program amongst the non-Power Five. But – it feels like with the schedule that you have ahead of you, that is a pretty crucial one for you on your schedule. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I think you've got to have one guy. I know it's worked in the past. And I mean, look, Phil Longo cited that it, it worked for him even at Sam Houston state when they ran that. But my thing is, is that if you look at the modern era of college football, it seems like, that has disappeared even more than it, it had even in the early part of the 2010s era when Carolina was still running it and people were saying, nobody does this anymore. It's not working. Well, now it seems to be even more rare. And I think that Carolina, between these two guys, and look, I think there will eventually be a guy that's going to separate himself. Maybe it's in the summer in these player-led practices. Maybe it's early in fall camp. Who knows? Maybe this does extend all the way into that first game of the season. But I feel like at some point, one of these guys has to be able to separate themselves if Carolina is going to reach their ceiling this season. Oh, and, and you know, I, I said it. I told you guys when I recapped the spring game, I thought that as of right now, Jacoby Criswell holds a little bit of an edge. Because I thought that he was clearly the better quarterback in the spring game. I think that Drake May looked pretty good, but I thought that Jacoby Criswell looked outstanding. And I, I think that you are going to find an answer here. At this point, I think my question is, is it going to be the answer that most Tar Heel fans thought it would be, which was, and we, we, were the, we, we said the same thing, 
we thought there was no way that it wasn't going to be Drake May after that Wofford game last year. But I'll be damned if Jacoby Criswell hasn't made a heck of a push here and may go into the fall with the lead in this battle. Um, you know, the other, the other big piece of news that came out, Mac Brown gave an update uh, on, you know, the injury status of some key players for Carolina. Look, they were missing a ton of guys on the defensive side of the football here uh, in, in the spring. The good news is a majority of those guys are coming back, and there's some real key names in there. We mentioned Cayman Rucker. Um, Day-Day Hollins is coming back as well. He could be a guy that could get a look at uh, that star uh, that, that star quarter position or a nickelback, as, as most people know it. Um, but, you know, one of the guys that I think right now there is some concern about, according to Mac Brown, is uh, Jaquarius Conley. And, you know, we saw him get injured in that game against Wofford last year. Um, so, look, he got injured on a kickoff. So, clearly, there's that factor as a guy that can bring you some special teams value. But the bigger concern is that this is a guy that Carolina has to figure out where he fits in with this new defensive scheme. Is he a guy that Carolina wants to play at safety? They played him there at times last year, but then moved him back to nickel because they felt like that was the best spot for him. In this secondary, where does he fit best? And as Mac Brown said, where can you play him that allows you to get the best five defensive backs on the field? So uh, Mac Brown said they, that he, quote, could miss the start of fall camp uh, or at least could be limited at the start of fall camp. Um, and, and my thing is, uh, you know, how, how concerned are you about the fact that uh, there, there could be a chance that Jaquarius Conley may not be ready for the season with the fact that he could still be working through that injury uh, early on, and then we'll have to try to learn the defense on the fly uh, as he goes throughout the uh, the uh, you know shortened uh, month long fall camp. It would be a significant blow if he's not on the field to start the season. That means he misses um, you know all the installing in the fall and stuff like that. And um, look, the, there's no denying that this defense, as bad as it was at times last year, it was. It benefited having, you know, uh, Conley on the field. He was, you know, the first month of the season was everywhere. He It felt like every defensive play that the team made, he was involved in the play in some capacity because he just has that type of endless motor and can cover so much ground. And, you know, when you're installing a new scheme and stuff like that, and uh, it's really important to have all your guys on the field. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be really big. Um, and if, if, if he's not there to start to start the season, given that schedule, it would put a defense that's already already at a disadvantage at an even more disadvantage, missing one of its better big time playmakers. Yeah. And he also did say that Jaleel Taylor will be out for the fall. He, of course, uh, suffered an injury against uh, South Carolina, a lower body injury. Uh, he will not be with the team in fall camp. I'm not sure if he is going to return later on in the season, but uh, while, you know, you'd love to have a guy like him there, especially uh, with the fact that uh, you do have, you know, a, a little bit of a lack of veteran presence there overall. There's still a ton of talent there. They, of course, as we mentioned earlier, added a guy on the defensive line. Uh, just today out of the transfer portal. So it feels like that's a position where Carolina can afford uh, to have a guy like that out for some time. 
Hit you with a couple of recruiting notes here on the way out. Carolina does make the top five for three-star in-state defensive tackle in the 2023 class, Jamal Jarrett. That's a big one for Carolina. They have been pursuing him for a while. Um, and, you know, Carolina is looking to try to keep him at home. Georgia is right now the biggest threat to Carolina. Clemson recently made an offer, so they're going to be a factor as well. But Carolina wants to keep him home. Um, when he was talking to, uh, you know, both 24-7 sports and rivals after he ended up narrowing down his list to five, uh, he did mention in both of them that Carolina was the first team in on him. And I believe it was the 24-7 article uh, that he said that that was extremely important to him. So Carolina's got a chance in this recruitment. I think in a lot of people's minds, Georgia is the clear favorite here. Um, and a lot of people feel like they've kind of got this one wrapped up. But I think Carolina's still got an opportunity here, especially with how uh, well-connected he seemed to be with Travis Shaw from that one year that they spent together this past year at Grimsley High School. Um, and I, I think, you know, the close proximity and the, the ability to get him on campus often uh, is, has definitely played a role here. Um, I think that with him getting to a top five, it looks like he's probably trying to progress towards making a decision before his senior season. So for Carolina, the important thing is to get him on campus as much as they possibly can here before he ends up making that decision. And there is a little bit of a sleeper that's now emerging, a team that was not in his top five that just recently offered Texas A&M is a team that is making a push for him. They have jumped in late, and he said today on his social media that they are going to be a factor, and that makes sense considering how aggressive they've been in NIL. So that could be another team to keep an eye on here. Carolina's got their work cut out for them, but the good news is they seem to be in the thick of this battle. Meanwhile, a guy that not a lot of people are talking about in the 2023 class, but that Carolina has – really seem to be doing pretty well with so far early on is a four-star edge rusher Desmond Umiazulu out of the state of Maryland. Carolina makes his final nine. And as of right now, according to On3 Sports, they see Carolina as the favorite to land him. That's a guy that hasn't been talked about as much as some of the other ones in this class. But that could be a, a, a key piece for Carolina if they could land him going outside of the footprint to bring in a guy um, in a year where Mac Brown said it in his press conference the other day, uh, the states of North Carolina and Virginia just are not as loaded as they've been over the last couple of years. So Carolina's having to get creative. They're having to go outside of their recruiting footprint. And all while they're still working in some new coaches uh, in some key positions, such as Gene Shizik as the defensive coordinator, Charlton Warren on the back end of your defense as your safeties coach uh, and and as your, an assistant defensive coordinator, and with Jack McNell on your offensive line. So Carolina's had some work cut out for them. If they you know can sort of make an impression here on some of these guys over the next month or so and land a couple of commitments, I think people would be feeling a lot better about where Carolina is at than where they sit today with just one commitment in the class outside of the top 50 in most of the major sites recruiting rankings. But it's still early on, and Mac Brown is looking towards May and June as key months for Carolina coming up where he thinks a lot of those guys are going to commit. And who knows, Jarrett and Umi Ozulu could be two of those guys 
that could be committing during that time. We'll keep you up to date on all that stuff. HeelToughBlog.com. We've got you covered with all the recruiting stuff on the website for you guys. Of course, we've got you covered uh, with all the stuff from spring practice. You guys can go back and check out the spring standouts. Those are guys that uh, are coming off of a great spring, and we'll try to carry that momentum into the fall. Make sure you go back and check all of that out. We've got the articles up there. Uh, if you want to read a little more in-depth about uh, LeJean Cavazos, as well as uh, Jacoby Cowan, you can head over to the website and check those articles out. We've got the article up there about Camaro Edmonds. We tell you what exactly Carolina is losing uh, with his departure. Um, and there is going to be an article. We didn't get to it tonight, but there is going to be an article coming up. Mac Brown did say that wide receiver is an area where Carolina could look to pursue somebody in the transfer portal. We'll give you a look at the transfer portal wide receivers and who are some of the guys that Carolina could potentially look at to try to help that wide receiver room as they search for weapons to try to help whichever quarterback emerges from that quarterback battle that we were talking about. And then, of course, when Carolina rounds back into fall camp, we'll have you covered with all that stuff on the website. The basketball side of things, a lot of guys have recently made their decisions. The deadline to enter the NBA draft was on Sunday. There's an article up there about Caleb Love deciding to come back. There's an article up there about R.J. Davis deciding to come back. And you can even go back to the articles on Armando Baycott and Leaky Black as four of the Iron Five have returned for what is now officially the Redemption Tour Part 2 as Carolina now sits as one of the favorites to take home the 2022-23 National Championship uh, Josh will have you covered the entire offseason. We've got a huge commitment coming up on Wednesday. Uh, make sure that you guys are keeping in tune with everything on the Heel Tough blog website. Is Gigi Jackson, the five-star forward from the state of South Carolina, makes his commitment. Carolina, as of right now, seems to be in a pretty good spot for him. Can they hold on and land his commitment tomorrow and add a huge piece to that 2023 class? Josh will have you covered on that front on the website. Uh, make sure that you guys subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, any of those major sites. Make sure that when you are listening to them on there, you are subscribed so you don't miss any editions of the podcast. And make sure you head over to the Facebook page Give it a follow at Heel Tough Blog uh, on Facebook, as well as at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. That's where you can find all of the great articles, all the great editions of the podcast, and all the video editions of the podcast as well, all in one central location. And also, if you're over there on Twitter, follow us on our social media pages as well, at HTV Anthony for me, at HTV Josh for Josh. So we want to thank uh, Russell Brown for stopping by with us today. Make sure that you guys go and check out his, uh, his stuff that he has over on his Twitter feed, at Russ NFL Draft. I want to thank you guys for listening, and as always, go Tories.